Hey guys, thanks for joining us. I'm here with Danny Mersloat, co-founder of Alpenstash Cultivation Facilities in Colorado. Danny, you've got a really interesting story. It's been a long journey to wellness for you. Um, and I think it's something that a lot of people in the cannabis space can relate to. So I'm stoked to hear you kind of share that with us. And I think our audience will get a lot of value from hearing that journey that you've been on. Um, it sort of began, I guess, in, in 2009, it was the onset of your medical issues. What were you going through at that time and how did it lead you to cannabis? Yeah, actually 2009 was the tail end. Um, okay. that's, when I, that's when I started ingesting cannabis. Um, so shortly after I turned 21, uh, I believe this is 2004, I woke up suddenly uh, with pretty bad stomach pains in the middle of the night. Uh, went to the hospital and was hospitalized for four or five days. Uh, you know, all the med you know, pain medication and all that stuff um, and did a bunch of testing. They couldn't figure out what it was. And uh, after like the really sharp uh, acute pain subsided, I was discharged with this sort of chronic pain uh, and a script for Vicodin and instructions to follow up with my gastroenterologist. Uh, I did that, you know, another series of tests, kind of everything they could throw at me. That was inconclusive, but the whole time I was, you know, just on the script for Vicodin. Uh, fast forward a few months and gastroenterologists didn't really know what was going on. So they suggested I see a physiatrist, a pain doctor. Uh, and again, this was 2004. So at my first appointment with this physiatrist, you know, he's like, well, there's some things we can do. There's some treatments and tests. But in the meantime, you know, here's a script for something a little bit more powerful to help control your pain. Uh, and that turned out to be fentanyl. So I left that appointment. Yeah, with both uh, the lollipops, the immediate release fentanyl and the patches. And back then, uh, I didn't really know what that was, you know, the, the opiate crisis that was sort of starting or, you know, starting up and I didn't, I didn't really know, you know, how strong that was. Of course, everybody now is familiar with that drug. Uh, so- isn't it, isn't it the strongest kind of form of, of opioid you can get or one of the strongest? Yeah, it's one of the strongest. It's actually what they, one of the opiates that they use to put you out uh, before they intubate you for surgery. So it's definitely very, po uh, very potent. And, you know, it says on the box, which I didn't pay attention to because I, I had very much faith in the medical world and my doctors. My, my history was I had pretty bad asthma growing up. So I had always been around doctors and nurses and hospitals. And it had always been, you know, sort of more of like a you know, emergent situation, you know, if you can't breathe, you go to the hospital, they make you better, you go to the doctor, they give you drugs, they make you better. So I had total faith. And, you know, I never really paid attention to the inserts that say essentially, you know, for end stage cancer pain for, for this fentanyl. Wow. So, uh, you know, and it's, uh, the immediate release is pretty insidious. Uh, it's called Actique. And it's uh, like a little lollipop that tastes like uh, the little stick in Licamade if you've ever had those, a little white sugary stick. So, yeah. I mean, you know, it's actually pretty delicious, but that's part of what makes it, I think, insidious, um, yeah. at least at that time. I mean, there's certainly uh, a time and a place for pain medication, and I don't want to ever take that away from people that truly need it. But in retrospect, after all this, I was not one of those people. Um, mm -hmm. So anyways, I left this appointment uh, with, you know, fentanyl prescriptions and uh, started getting treatments, uh, 
you know, epidural injections, pulse radiofrequency, nerve ablations, just sort of, you know, anything they could try to, to sort of get this pain to subside, uh, you know, the whole while, uh, you know, stronger and stronger doses of pain medication. Uh, I began to have side effects. So they gave me medication for those side effects and then medication for the side effects of those medications and, mm -hmm. you know, so on and so forth. And uh, so then in about 2005, I developed a nerve impingement issue called thoracic outlet syndrome. Uh, it affects uh, my whole arm, affected my whole right arm between my neck uh, and collarbone. There's like a little uh, outlet that your nerve, your artery and your vein to your arm go and, and it got compressed. Uh, my first rib kind of compressed that area you know, in retrospect, I attribute that actually to the pain medication because at that point I was, you know, on so much pain medication that I was sleeping for 16 plus hours a day, sort of in a, you know, mm -hmm. almost coma-like sleep, not really tossing and turning. And I, I believe that that just sort of compressed my neck, um, you know, series of surgeries, three for those, uh, and just a ton more medication, hospitalizations, dealing with the stomach thing. Um, and then in 2009, uh, at the beginning or, or late 2008, I was diagnosed with an acoustic neuroma, which is a base of skull non-cancerous uh, tumor. So that had a pretty major surgery at the beginning of 2009 to get that out. So uh, by then, you know, it had been, uh, you know, five years of pretty constant, just, uh, you know, medicated stupor I had for the last few years been pretty reclusive, um, you know, just spending time in my room or in bed or going to doctor's appointments, you know, and, and that was it, you know, no social life, no interactions, um, and was pretty hopeless. And uh, then in the fall of 2009, my dad actually came to me and he said, you know, medical cannabis is a thing now, and maybe you should go and try that. So uh, I, I went and got my medical card and, you know, in September and tried it for the first time right around uh, 2000, you know, December 2009, beginning of December 2009. I had had, uh, you know, uh, ingested cannabis in high school, had a good time. And then sort of after that, I had only had a few experiences and they had been, uh, especially leading up to this, had been, you know, kind of negative experiences. So I, I was hesitant to try cannabis, which is why I got my card in September didn't try it till you know beginning of December. Mm -hmm. um, I kind of had you know felt like I had nothing to lose and you know any negative experiences I might have would have been you know maybe would be outweighed by the positive experiences and I had uh, my best friend Evan uh, who who eventually helped co-found Alpenstash but he was there you know and he he definitely you know smoked and he was like you should try this you know we'll have make sure you have a good time and, you know, you should definitely give this a shot. So I went to a dispensary. I got free clones with purchase uh, and, you know, came home with a few different uh, cultivars to try. And uh, I smoked and, and to my surprise, uh, it helped with the pain uh, a bunch, but it also uh, kind of helped, you know, give me some mental space uh, to exist in which that I, I wasn't in pain. And I also wasn't you know, focused on and thinking about pain. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so that as I really be dominating, it'll cloud your whole your whole mind if you're if you're feeling pain. That's all you can think about. 
Yeah, and it, you know, not only does it cloud you, you, I mean, I would say it clouds your whole being, you know, especially having been in it for that long and, you know, pretty much my daily focus uh, during the hours which I was awake because, you know, they're pretty limited because of all the opiates were, you know, it was dominated by this, whether that was my only social interactions being doctors or injections mm -hmm. or things like that to just, you know, being depressed because of, because of being in this, you know, essentially stupor. And, uh, you know, it's very tricky because as you begin on these medications, you know, you certainly feel euphoric, but as you kind of go into chronic use of them, you really don't notice, you know, the, the aspects of your life slipping away, things like judgment and, uh, you know, just what makes you you and what makes you human, uh, you know, they just sort of slip away. It's sort of like a, a lobster in a boiling pot. You don't notice, uh, you know, everything turning up but you're in it. And then, you know, you come out of it. Uh, if, if you're lucky enough to do that, you come out of it and then you, you reflect and you're like, wow, that was, you know, just so intense and so crazy. But at the time, it, you know, it just, it began to feel normal. And, you know, it was, it was very, uh, you know, very weird thing, to be honest. Um, so I got these, you know, anyways, I got, I got these clones. Uh, cannabis was providing me with this physical relief from pain and this emotional mm -hmm. break. And I began to grow these clones, uh, you know, for fun and for a form of therapy. I had always found gardening very, uh, you know, therapeutic. And so I decided to give these, you know, try growing these clones. And, and that began to give me, you know, a reason to get out of bed, a reason to kind of care for something, to engage. And I made every mistake, grown mistake in the book. And, you know, that ends up being a lot of physical work. So that was a form for me to get, you know, back active again and really, you know, began to, uh, to plug back into life. And as that happened, and as I realized, you know, I could exist in this pain-free state or, you know, even reduced pain at that point was awesome. Um, that I could, you know, get myself off all these medications that I had been prescribed for so long and began to take myself off of, uh, you know, wean myself off these medications and, you know, uh, lose weight because I was being so active with growing. Wow. And did, maybe I missed it, I hope not, but at some point, were they able to figure out what the original start of the pain was, the severe stomach pain? Yeah. So it's so crazy. Um, I eventually uh, was diagnosed with pelvic floor dysfunction, which is just essentially, you know, you have all these complicated muscles in your pelvic floor and one or a couple of them began spasming and, you know, and that was the cause of the pain. And uh, I had, the doctors told me that I had a hyperactive immune system, which was essentially, you know, attacking this area and making it spasm. And so they actually put me on Tagamet uh, because Tagamet has, uh, something in it that kind of calms your immune system. So after all these years and all these medications and all these opiates, I took Tagamet for, you know, eight weeks until everything calmed down. Wow. Um, yeah, but by that time I, you know, this, so the stomach pain went away, but I was still dealing with my you know, thoracic outlet syndrome and then eventually recovering from this, you know, uh, base of skull surgery. Uh, and then I, you know, I learned, uh, I, I came to find out, you know, as I got off these medications, you know, my arm began to feel better too. And, and part of that was, you know, re-engaging in life, but, mm -hmm. but also, you know, opiates, if you take them for, for chronic pain, depending on the type of your of pain, they can actually make it worse. Your body 
will end up devoting more nerve pathways uh, to pain sensation. Um, and so you actually become in more pain and you take more opiates and then more pain and more opiates. And then the whole while, if you're, you know, really stationary and, you know, just not moving around, your body starts to deteriorate. So, wow. you know, the cure, aside from the surgeries, and I still had pain even after these surgeries, the, the thing that eventually made it get much better was uh, getting off pain medications and being active. And for me, cannabis, uh, both ingestion and uh, growing, you know, was the key to that. Yeah. So it started out, you know, as an attempt for pain relief and then your relationship really evolved because of the, the cultivation aspect. Can you tell me yes, a bit I, more about, about how that change started to happen and how you really became now you're a master cultivator? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I think it's important to note that I, you know, took a very active role in my recovery. Um, I had spent all this time really wanting to be better, wanting to be active again. I had gained 70 pounds and, you know, had always enjoyed before that, you know, I'm a Colorado native, but I had always enjoyed sort of the outdoor lifestyle. And so I had, that had always been a goal of mine and I had become acutely aware of, you know, wanting to do things again and wanting to do stuff that brought me joy and that brought me satisfaction. And for me, a lot of that had to do with, you know, being physical uh, and being outdoors. So, you know, as I began, uh, as I got a physical break from this pain and this depression uh, from cannabis, I began to like really actively pursue, you know, things that brought me joy and things that made me active and, and things that allowed me to, you know, shift my focus from being in uh, like a depressed pain medical, you know, uh, almost like victim mentality to actually trying to become uh, you know, kind of get my life back under control and plug back into life. And for me, you know, caring for these plants was so important. And I, I recognized early on that, you know, this works for me. And maybe if I sort of devote myself to this, that I can pursue a career or even a profession, you know, eventually uh, in cannabis. And I, that became a goal of mine. And so, you know, and that, that gave me something to strive for every day. That gave me something to, you know, begin to think long-term, you know, if I can get better today, I can, you know, at growing, I can grow better tomorrow. And if I can do that, you know, who knows where I'll be in a month and who knows where I'll be in a year. Maybe even one day I can do this professionally. Uh, at that point, you know, pretty much all my twenties have been, you know, just in, uh, you know, this, this medical funk, from the ages of 21 through 29, I, you know, I had real no, I had no real like goals. I didn't have a you know, path. I didn't have any, you know, career opportunities or skills. And, you know, I'd been so shut away that the idea of trying to, you know, jump back into things and, and, you know, uh, learn a whole new, you know, go to school or something like that was really daunting. So, you know, growing became the thing that I could attach myself to and, you know, see a future in. And, you know, that, that idea of hope and that goal was, you know, so important for me, uh, for my recovery, you know, because getting out of the physical pain, you know, in a sense with things to cannabis was, was almost the easy part because I'd ingest it and I'd feel better. And then as I began to feel better, I'd get up and move, you know, go outside even, you know, go on walks in nature, you know, watch anime, the things that, that I, you know, 
enjoyed that I could use as an escape, um, you know, from being depressed, I, I definitely did. But, but the plugging back into life, the plugging back into society, um, being social again, you know, that was the really hard part that took years to kind of be comfortable with. Uh, and, you know, growing was that thing that I could, you know, relate with people that I began to surround myself with. And I could, you know, use to, you know, give myself, uh, you know, hope and, and sort of a sense of self-worth. Yeah, you've, you've mentioned that you felt um, that maybe you're a little bit introverted. And so I wonder if going to dispensaries, was that approachable for you? Or was that something that was a little bit intimidating since you weren't that into cannabis anyway? Yeah, I think, you know, I, uh, I went to a lot of dispensaries. I actually started going to pretty much as many as I could and trying as much as I could. And I, I experienced both very welcoming dispensaries and very off-putting ones. I, like you said, I wasn't really part of the culture. You know, it was uh, at first very intimidating to walk in and, and see, you know, such a selection and, and, you know, kind of have no idea. And I was acutely aware of, of those dispensaries that had an atmosphere of welcoming, uh, an atmosphere of like, you know, encouraging questions, nothing was dumb, you know, bud tenders that really wanted to take the time to help me, um, you know, didn't mind my, you know, probably annoying questions or, you know, little details that I was asking and, um, and I was aware of the ones that, that were the opposite, that just seemed too cool, you know, or too uh, snobby or too just, you know, off-putting. Um, and that was, you know, really, uh, it was thanks to some of the more approachable ones that I, that I really continued down this, this path. And it was, I guess, despite some of the ones that, that weren't so friendly or welcoming or, you know, didn't seem like they would cater to me because I wasn't cool enough, you know, despite them that I continued along this and actually experienced that uh, completely in the world of growing too. And I was lucky enough to, uh, after a few years uh, down that I, you know, started, I, I worked at a, a grow store and, and I worked at the one that was, you know, everybody there was nerdy like me, you know, the boss and the employee, all three of us were nerds and, you know, really worked to make that a welcoming, uh, you know, atmosphere as well, because that, that, of that's another side of this industry that, you know, tends to be very egotistical and, and very, you know, unapproachable to some people. And it's just, you know, such a shame because I feel like there's a lot of missed opportunities to, you know, really empower patients, um, you know, and, and, and help the accessibility of this plant by, you know, presenting, uh, you know, an off-putting uh, atmosphere. Mm -hmm. And in fact, you know, I have an example. My father-in-law during uh, quarantine, and this was, you know, in April, went to the dispensary down the road. Everybody was lined up, you know, and a bud tender walked out and said, does anybody else have any stupid questions for us? And that mm -hmm. was just like, yes, yeah. so, I mean, it still happens. And, wow. you know, he's a pretty gruff guy. So he, he fired something back that was sassy and, you know, got his edible or whatever and left. But, you know, that, mm -hmm. I mean, that stuff still happens and it's really a shame. Wow. Yeah. Well, with that in mind, what advice would you give to people who are thinking about trying it maybe for the first time? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, uh, when it comes to like which cultivar or strain uh, you're going to try, my best advice was actually the advice that I got that first day that I walked into a dispensary, which was, you know, follow your nose or your nose knows. So, 
you know, I'm, and this is a little tricky. Uh, that particular piece of advice is a little tricky now with COVID because you don't always have the opportunity to, you know, smell or look at the buds. But if you get that uh, opportunity, you know, that's where I would suggest you try because if you, you know, the, your first experiences of how a particular flower is going to treat you is generally going to be your first impressions, which if it smells good, that's awesome. If it smells bad, then, you know, you're already kind of setting yourself up for, you know, a negative experience or not maybe not negative, but just not like an optimal one. So uh, kind of in lieu of, you know, being actually physically smell it, if you can, you know, pick the bud tender's brain to try to get the idea of, you know, what the flavors and smells are going to be, I think that's, you know, a great place to start. Go with something that, you know, if you're a big fan of, you know, grape flavors, for example, you know, we have, we have a cultivar that, that I bred called Lemmy Wings that's just super grapey. And for people that like that, you know, like myself, that's my favorite you know, like candy flavor or uh, snow cone flavor. So if I'm already set up with something that I find, you know, enticing and delicious, chances are I'm going to have a pretty good time. Uh, so that's my first piece of advice when, you know, you're, you're selecting something to try. But uh, when, when you're actually using it, and especially for medical reasons, um, you know, take an active role in your recovery. And so for me, uh, you know, that was so important. And that looked like, you know, uh, ingesting and then finding relief and then taking that opportunity to do something that I found uh, that brought me joy and that brought me satisfaction. And, and again, I mentioned it could be as simple. And for me, it was uh, initially as going outside and sitting, you know, in, in my backyard, just, you know, and, and, you know, enjoying outside or, you know, watching anime, just something that I could, you know, kind of lose myself in um, and, you know, really begin to open up that, that, emotional and that mental, you know, uh, space in my, in my being that was like, I can exist in a space that's not in pain and that's not in this, you know, depressed space. And so, you know, use that relief that you find uh, to do something and to make your situation better. And then my other, my last advice really is like, find something that you can look forward to and that, you know, gives you hope and that you can progress at because for me that was the combination of those three things you know the the pain relief and the emotional and mental relief cannabis gave me uh mm -hmm. the decision the active decision to use that space and that time to uh you know kind of make my existence feel better and to do things that brought me joy and then you know the the attempt to better my long my life long term by doing something that i did that was a goal of mine and by pursuing something that gave me hope and a sense of, you know, the future will be good. And, you know, that that's so important. So often in cannabis, uh, you know, and in healing in general, people talk about, you know, just finding relief by, you know, in, ingesting cannabis. And that's so overwhelmingly important. But I think that you have to take an active role in the recovery and really use that space, uh, you know, to better yourself and, and to better you know, your life. And I think that, you know, for me, cannabis gave me that. And for me, growing cannabis, you know, gave me that as well. I think that's super powerful. Uh, I don't think often enough when discussing cannabis that we talk about how it's really um, a mental relief as well. And I think that's something that you've woven into your story is that it made room for you to to start thinking about other aspects of your life again and how you wanted to reinvigorate yeah. those those parts of your of your being. I think that's 
powerful stuff. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, I, I just feel like in recovery in general, you know, it's always this focus on, uh, you know, or for the most part, it's a focus on like physical recovery. And while that, you know, is, is often, you know, necessary, uh, you know, uh, a necessary step, you know, uh, uh, like a key step, that's for me, not the only step. And, you know, that mental and emotional and spiritual recovery was, you know, as important, uh, couldn't have happened without the physical recovery, but you know, was the thing that, that made, that's kind of cemented all that. And to be honest, was the thing that took, that took work. Yeah. Well, so now you're running a craft cultivation facility. Has your, your physical well-being kept up with the demands of sort of that intensity? You know, I, I think there's what, three, three of you on staff or three, three founders. I mean, it's a small team and you're putting out a lot of product. Yeah, my uh, my business partner, he's kind of stepped away. So it's uh, and my wife has taken over. So it's myself and my wife. Um, she's been with us since 2016. We were licensed in 2014. We had plants in in 2015. Uh, and then uh, at that time, uh, later in that year, beginning of uh, or middle of 2016, my business partner stepped away and my wife, who is my girlfriend and or fiance kind of happened around the same time. Uh, she stepped in and, and helped, uh, you know, run it with me. And yeah, we have two full-time employees now and one part-time. So there's, you know, five of us. And yeah, my, absolutely, my physical uh, abilities have definitely kept up with the demands of that job. And uh, there have been dips, but, you know, my uh, emotional and mental abilities have kept up uh, as well. You know, those definitely continue to take work um, to keep going. But you know, the doing, actually working every day to achieve the goals and the things that I, you know, spent so much time, you know, consciously thinking of and consciously working towards like that, you know, coming to fruition or steps along that way, you know, is, is just, it means everything to, you know, do something that I love at the end of the day that find, you know, brings me joy but also something that, you know, kind of creates a future for myself and my family. Doing that alone is, you know, is, is amazing and, and is kind of everything. But uh, doing that with my wife is, you know, is, is the best part of that. And, you know, we, we work hard every day to, you know, produce the best quality uh, product that we can, the best quality flower to make unique and novel genetics. Um, you know, first and foremost, because it's what you know, we want to do, it's what brings us happiness. Uh, it's what, you know, brings us a sense of, you know, joy and doing something that we love. Um, and then, you know, with the idea that this is our, you know, business, and this is something that we're using to build our life, you know, is, is essentially the icing on the cake. That sounds like you've imbued the ideals that you kind of gathered while you were going through that experience into your current company. And that was sort of the reason you you started your own company, right? Was because you felt like you wanted to create something that was reflective of your own um, sort of moral compass when it came to how things were produced. Is that accurate? Yes, absolutely. You know, I started, I actually got my first industry job at a dispensary uh, in 2010. And I, at that job, because of my healing uh, that, you know, the journey that, that I was on that cannabis was such so much a part of, I really spent my time with patients uh, and was actually 
uh, switched over to what became their grow because I was told that I was taking too much time with the patients uh, talking to them. So that's a, any prospective dispensary owners or bud tenders, like don't do that. Let people, let your employees that are passionate talk about it um, and, you know, help empower patients. But uh, I was switched to the grow. This business was, you know, a close family friend uh, owned this business. And uh, I pretty quickly saw that, you know, the, the ethics of this company and the grow style didn't align at all to, you know, what I held dear in terms of, you know, being environmentally conscious and, you know, using, you know, organic or natural and sustainable nutrients and even, you know, pesticide application and just, you know, work environment. So I ended up quitting that job um, after, you know, a few months. Uh, at that time, I took horticulture classes and worked at this grow store. Uh, and then I quit that job a few years later to, to work in a grow for another family friend. This family friend had been a family friend for like 45 years of a friend of my dad's. And so I thought, you know, for sure I would be treated at least good here. Uh, you know, I'm not looking for anything special, but um, I thought that, you know, any, any special treatment, but I thought it would at least be decent. And when that job after a couple of weeks was, you know, even worse, I was treated even worse in the first one, you know, even there was even more uh, unsavory grow practices there. Mm -hmm. I thought, you know, it became clear to me that if I wanted to, uh, you know, grow in a way that I found aligned with my goals and in a way that at the end of the day, I felt good about myself and what I had done and, and used my, you know, the knowledge that I was building for, you know, for good, for lack of a better term, um, that I would have to start my own business. Uh, and in fact, uh, you know, years later now, it's unfortunate, but most of the growers that I know that have the same passion that I do, you know, kind of took their turn in the cannabis industry and, you know, had a ton of negative experiences and almost none of them work in the industry anymore. And I feel, you know, very fortunate that I was able to uh, you know, that I and, you know, with the help of my wife, uh, were able to create uh, a place that in which we could, you know, work and do the thing we love in a way that brings us satisfaction and a good feeling. Wow. That's a hell of a journey, Danny, like from, <laughs> from not feeling well and not really being um, maybe even interested in, in trying the plant again, and then to your current endeavors where you're putting out some really high quality stuff that I think is super valuable for people who are using it medicinally, especially to know that that kind of care and attention has been paid to how it was grown is pretty awesome. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, you know, my life took a complete 180, you know, so many of my, uh, you know, beliefs and so many of, of, you know, my experiences, they just, you know, changed completely my, my thought. And, you know, I, I'm not going to, you know, lie about this at all, but my thoughts about cannabis when it was medicinal before I started, it was like, oh, it's just stoners trying to get their foot in the door for this. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, it was very, uh, you know, it was, it was shook me, uh, essentially shook a lot of my beliefs to, to the core, you know, and, and, and took some time to embrace this and see how wrong I was, you know, with that mindset going in. And a lot of that was, you know, just the era I grew up in, um, you know, we, we that went through the D.A.R.E. program, you know, have a lot of programming that's deep. And it, it's strange because I'm, you know, I was born and raised in Boulder, Colorado, which is, a, you know, generally a pretty 
cannabis friendly place. My parents were definitely, uh, you know, cannabis, you know, supporters and, and, you know, I had re received no pushback or qualms from anybody except from myself. Um, mm -hmm. You know, that was the first mind that I had to change in that. And, you know, the other belief that, that completely, you know, was, was fundamental to me was, you know, how, how much I should trust, should, sorry, should trust, you know, doctors and Western medicine and how, you know, all doctors are, you know, in, in this for the good of the patient. And that was definitely, you know, my thoughts on that have changed quite a bit too. Mm. Well, lastly, Danny, is there anything you'd like our audience to take away from our discussion that maybe we haven't hit on or anything you just want to reiterate? Yeah, you know, I think that um, you have to take an active role in your recovery as a patient. And I feel like you, as somebody that is helping another person along the way with their, you know, healing journey or just, you know, introducing them to cannabis, um, you know, I think that you have to be very cognizant of that and you should try to support that in all ways uh, that you can and, and really encourage that. And, you know, for people that, that are watching this, I would encourage everybody to try growing for themselves. Um, I feel like for me, that was so therapeutic and it's such a big part of our company to encourage people, you know, home growers, people to try this uh, themselves. We, you know, there's, there's a belief that that's a threat to, to the people in this industry, that home growers are a threat to, to grows and dispensaries. And we have the complete opposite view that, you know, it's super therapeutic, it's super healing, and it helps pe people appreciate the work and the love that we put in our plants. And I think that it's super important uh, if you have the ability to try that, especially during this time where, you know, you might be stuck at home, you might not have something that you can do, uh, a passion that you can pursue actively, you know, you might not have the best access to cannabis, you know, if you are able to do it, you know, certainly I, I can't recommend trying that enough. And to that end, you know, we, we have a lot, uh, 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 Stash has a lot of sort of, our energy is focused to empowering people to try growing, uh, you know, whether that's through our YouTube, our Instagram, and, you know, we, we, we kind of, some one of the things we're gearing up to do is to support that side a lot. And I think that it's, you know, a very healing experience. That's awesome. I think a lot of people in our audience could relate to, to your journey. Um, and it, it rings a lot of bells for me too, going through, a, you know, experiences with, with people who were terminally ill. So I really appreciate you bringing those perspectives to Emerge today. And I think um, our audience was lucky to hear them. If anyone who's out there listening has their own experiences that they want to share with Cannabis and Tech Today, um, feel free to submit your stories at canatechtoday.com slash submit. And for uh, Danny Mersloat and myself, thanks everybody for joining us and uh, enjoy the rest of the Emerge conference. Today's episode of Cannabis Tech Talks is brought to you by EPAC Flexible Packaging. EPAC is a digitally based, flexible packaging company serving cannabis brands of all sizes with custom stand-up pouches, lay-flat pouches, and roll stock. Leveraging the latest in digital print technology, EPAC's quick turnaround time, low minimum orders, and ability to easily make design changes provides brands with a simple way to order certified child-resistant packaging. EPAC enables brands to develop smart packaging solutions to verify authenticity, track and trace products' journey, and engage with customers like never before. To learn more about EPAC Flexible Packaging, go to epacflexible.com.